In this podcast, we're ready to unlock the secret of quality sleep. Pay attention. My esteemed guest, Dr. Thomas Hemingway, will enlighten us in the fascinating sleep science while skilling magic family of six. This is a captivating episode, guaranteed to keep you engaged and craving more about sleep. We all can use more sleep. So let's dive in, make the most of it, of the podcast. Let's do this. Welcome to the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad podcast, a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life. Let's get involved. Here's host Joe Foley. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, listen, welcome, really, seriously, welcome to the podcast. Hey, I'm Joe Foley. I want to express my sincere gratitude for joining me today. I know as a parent, man, we know I'm, I'm a divorced dad and the dad, and I understand our time is precious and limited. So if you taking time to listen to this podcast really means a lot. It's a great deal. It's a, it's a great deal to me. And if it's your first time, welcome, welcome on the podcast. I'm, I can't just say I'm not an expert. I'm a dad. So I have some experience, but I have, my guests have more experience and, and they have a lot of good information to share. I'm on a journey to navigate the challenges of parenthood, just like you discover the valuable insights along the way. Because this is a journey. It only starts here, here to find out more information. But here we start our journey to become better us and better parents. Get ready for an awesome journey into the realm of sleep. You ever wondered about the fascinating lives of medical professionals? Man, they make it effortlessly. Balance in the work, family, and a good night's sleep. And that good night's sleep would be great. <laughs> but Dr. Hemway is about to spill some well-kept secrets and, and tips in the world of slumber and sleep. Buckle up and stay open-minded. Please stay open-minded. Pay to be amazed by mind-blowing revelations and some facts. So let's dive in the episode. Well, actually, let's dive into the interview with Dr. Hemingway. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Hemingway. Uh, thanks, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. Super pumped to be here to just share a little bit about my experience, about my family. Like you said, I got six kids, and that's part of the reason I've had a lot of experience with sleep or lack thereof. And then just you know, the classic medical training. I think uh, most people know doctors, especially in their training years, which for me was 20 years ago, they didn't get much sleep at all. And, uh, you know, the, the pendulum has swung. Fortunately, I think we're finally getting the picture that sleep is important. And back when I was doing my training, we didn't used to think so. And, and that's for a lot of reasons. There's you know, a lot of new data research that shows all, all the important benefits and, you know, the consequences for not getting appropriate sleep. And so it's great now that we do have a lot more science to back up recommendations about sleep. You know, the classic eight hour, you know, window that everybody tries to shoot for is right about uh, the goal for most people, you know, anything between six and nine hours. And it's a little dependent on the individual, but we can get into that a little bit later, but so happy to be here with you and your, and your group. So awesome. Well, thank you very much. I really do appreciate it. Again, being on the podcast. One thing I was interested, six kids, married 25 years. And um, how do you knew I'd do it? I'm, I'm curious because that's like, one, you could go play, you know, zone defense. Like, hey, you take them this way, play man-to-man. Two, you play zone defense. Six. I'm curious. Yeah, it's we're definitely outnumbered. That's for real. Once, once you get past the two mark, you know, once you have your third <laughs> kid, you kind of you kind of throw your hands up and you just do the best you can and, and just roll with it. You know, the, the thing that we've learned, I think in these, uh, 
you know, 25 years of marriage and six kids later is uh, you just have to kind of relax a little bit, just ease up. We're probably the antithesis of the classic helicopter parent. We let our <laughs> kids kind of do, do whatever they want as, as long as they're not killing each other and they're uh, not harming anybody or anything. You know, they learn a lot of lessons in the rough and tumble approach uh, that they've had over the years. But it's, uh, I think you just kind of learn to relax a little bit. The more kids you have, you just don't take anything too seriously. You know, kind of roll up the punches a little bit. You just got to be flexible because <laughs> <laughs> when you have your first, you know, you're kind of like wound up real tidy, you know, kind of, uh, you know, doing the classic hovering approach of the helicopter parent. You don't want a kid to get dirty or roll in the mud or whatever. And then, you know, you have a couple more and it's like, you know what? As long as they're not hurting anybody and they're not hurting themselves, you know, just let them be kids. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like I was reading something, you mentioned something, their gift. What is I know my son, who's going to be nine fairly soon, but he's a gift. He's a gift to me. What did you mean by gift to you? Yeah. So each, you know, the cool thing about kids is they all come with such a unique persona, personality, you know, just having six. It's amazing, even though they got the same two parents, they're so different. And they all bring something unique to the world, unique to the family. And it's truly a gift. I mean, being a physician, just even knowing all the things that have to come into play just to have you know, a healthy child born into this world, like it's incredible. It's truly miraculous. And then on top of that, each one is so individual and brings with them so many unique qualities. And I think as you learn to get to know your kids and each one individually, I mean, it just kind of lights you up in a good way. You just get so excited. To you know, share life with them. I, and that's one of my favorite things about, about doing what I do is I get to see my kids nowadays and, and to spend time with them. It's just, it's literally, it's a gift. Every moment is a gift. And I think the reason I said that is when, you know, you do, you know, medicine like I do, and you get to see the good, the bad, the in-between, you know, watching a birth happen when all goes well is beautiful and magical. When all doesn't go well, it's super stressful, chaotic. And then, of course, I've witnessed end of life you know, things as well with patients, you know. And so every, every moment, every child, every, you know, it's, it's a gift, truly a gift. Well, I guess it'd be a good transition because, you know, we're talking about parenting, talking about being kids, new kids being born. And one thing about being a new parent is the lack of sleep. I think that's like sleep deprivation training. And it's not a good thing, but I feel like sometimes, it, it kind of, it's part of the deal. <laughs> oh, definitely. With a newborn, I mean, there's not really a way around it, especially if you're the mother and you're breastfeeding a couple of times during the night, like it can, I mean, talk about sleep deprivation. <laughs> I, I did my best, you know, with my wife to try to get up every other time, you know, and feed our kids a bottle just to give her a chance to sleep. But I think truly as a new parent, to be sleep deprived no matter what that's uh, it's just part of the part of the program for the most part for the first six to nine months once they kind of get into a solid routine they're sleeping through the night and um you know that's not something you necessarily want to do forever you know the sleep deprivation thing because there's definitely some some untoward you know side effects or consequences if you will of lack of sleep and i think we've all experienced them at one time or another whether it's being a new parent and we're just kind of groggy all day, or we're just not as sharp as we'd like to be, or maybe we're just not as pleasant. I know personally, my wife reminded me about 10 years ago when I was working 
close to a hundred hours a week as a physician, she was like, dude, you got to slow down. You're, you know, you're, you're killing yourself. And I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm tough. I can do this. And, you know, I'm supporting my family, providing wealth for them, but I was gone a hundred hours a week. I wasn't sleeping much. And, and I, I, I learned that, uh, you know, even though we can do it for a time, it's certainly not optimal. And if we do you know, get not only the quantity that we need, whether it be six, seven, eight, or nine hours, it's the quality of our sleep that matters as well. We can get that. It's, it's a game changer. You know, I, in my life, I used to go by the rule, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, if anybody out there likes the cure, the band, the cure, they had a song that was entitled something like that, Sleep When You're Dead. And that used to be my mantra until about a decade ago. I realized that, you know what, I, I wasn't thriving. I wasn't getting the sleep that I needed. I wasn't a pleasant person. My mood was affected. I was a little bit grumpy. My, my, my wife likes to call me on, you know, the fact that I was a little grumpy. I didn't notice myself. <laughs> I think, I think other people notice since, yeah, definitely making sleep a priority is super important, but yeah, it's hard as a new out. What are some of the, the like long-term effects on a, like a person with has lack of sleep or sleep deprivation? Because I mean, I experienced that too. I mean, I have a case of sleep apnea, so I don't see a little bit of a lack of sleep sometimes, but what are some of the um, effects of long-term sleep issues? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, interestingly enough, the WHO has classified sleep disorders and, and lack of sleep as potential carcinogen. In other words, if we don't get adequate sleep and that compounds over the year, that, that puts us at higher risk of many cancers. It puts us at higher risk heart disease, at higher risk diabetes, obesity. I mean, you name it, all of the common health conditions that are out there can be tied in part to not getting adequate sleep. And the reason for that is when we don't sleep well, a couple of things happen. One, we get more inflamed. I don't know if any, anybody out there has ever done a, a so-called all-nighter, whether you had to do it for work <laughs> or the kids were sick or whatever. And the next day, like your body just felt kind of achy and you just didn't feel well. You felt kind of inflamed. And that's one of the things that happens when you don't get adequate sleep. Your body has this low-grade inflammation going on, which is literally the root of almost every disease you've ever heard of from heart disease to cancer, to diabetes, and, you know, even, even the obesity epidemic that we're witnessing in our country and the world, really, a lot of it could play into the fact that we're not sleeping well, because if we're not sleeping well, maybe we're getting up in the middle of the night and maybe we're having a snack or something. You know, we get the munchies in the middle of the night, which is like the worst time that we could be eating in the middle of the night, for example. And, you know, there's a lot of hormones that get a little bit uh, messed up when we don't sleep um, adequately. And so it's one of those things, a lot of times we just don't even realize, but it can be that one little thing that might be missing in our life that we can adjust and it's free to do so, right? It doesn't cost anything to sleep at night. There's lots of gadgets out there, right? We could buy one of those <laughs> fancy watches or sleep trackers, or we could get the super fancy, you know, uh, blackout curtains, or we could have you know, all these different sound machines and there's lots of, you know, we could have the perfect setting on our AC in our room or whatever. There's lots of things that could help us sleep better, but, but for the most part, it's just making the goal and commitment to do it, to make it a priority because you can't sleep when you're dead. I'll tell you that you gotta, you gotta get sleep now so you can not only thrive in your life, but also avoid an earlier death because sleep deprivation has been shown over the years 
to basically result in a premature death. So there's, there's lots of consequences. We all know the short-term ones that we talked about initially, feeling groggy, feeling maybe a little grouchy, lack of energy, maybe inflamed, not, not feeling our tip-top self. But over the years, they add up as well. And so it's not, it's not something we want to we shoot for, for trying to sleep the minimal amount. We want to get adequate sleep. We want to make it a priority for sure. Well, but two things I meant, I was looking at a chance before the interview and stuff, I'd look up a little bit about lack of sleep, what it does to your body. And one thing I didn't know, and I knew about the weight gain, I knew anything about you talked about, but balance. I didn't realize balance gets messed up too, a lack of sleep. Oh, yeah. No, there's so many things that get messed up. Your so-called, what I like to call brain health or your mental health, it, if you're not getting adequate sleep, all of your faculties are you know, compromised, if you will. You're not going to be able to operate at your ideal, you know, level, you're definitely be lacking in many ways. And with respect to your brain, your balance, your uh, sharpness, your mental acuity, focus, all those things will, will, you know, be affected. But also, like you mentioned, the long-term consequences are also not awesome, right? We don't want to die prematurely because we didn't sleep well. And, and you're, you know, you know this very well with sleep apnea, if you're not getting the help that you need, either with, you know, having a, device that you use at night, a CPAP or BiPAP or whatever you got or, or things like that, like it's going to be hard for you to get a great quality sleep. And I'm sure you noticed once you did make some adaptations, I'm sure your sleep got better and, and maybe tell me how that worked for you and how did it affect your daytime once your sleep got better? Much better, much better. Before, before the, um, got taken care of, it was, oh, it was horrible. It was not fun. <laughs> it was not a fun experience because during the day, I would get drowsy as I'm driving. I get drowsy at work. Concentration was horrible. And once I took care of it, it, it was a lot better. My concentration was better. My brain fog wasn't there because you, you have brain fog the whole day and it's, and you can't, mm -hmm. you can't shake. I don't, when I was younger, I used to walk a lot of, work a lot of overnight shifts or late night shifts at like 12 o'clock. And I would still get up most of my part-time job and I would get up and go to work in the morning at five o'clock in the morning. I get up and get ready to go. And, you know, being 25, being kind of silly and um, thinking power through stuff with like, you know, big sugary power drinks and a lot of Coca-Cola and that only lasts so long because your teeth hurt after a while of drinking that stuff. And, and, but long-term effects, it was just not good. I gained I mean, people. I mean, I gained weight and I'm wondering too, is lack of sleep, is that like adding to the weight problem and probably in the United States or in a person? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one thing that we didn't really understand until the last decade is that when we don't get that adequate, whatever it is for us, six hours, seven hours, eight hours, nine hours, everybody's different. When we're not getting that, it throws off our hormones. And it's in a couple of ways that we just discovered, which I love to share with people because sometimes they just think that they're, you know, not doing something right as far as they're weak and they can't avoid the snacks or the junk food or the, all, all these, what I like to call the uh, food like substances, you know, all, all of the packaged goods, whether it be chips or cookies or crackers or, or most breads and things like that, all these kind of snack foods, which are not awesome. When we don't sleep, we actually have increased desire to eat junk food and it's based on our hormones. It's not that we're being, you know, weak. I don't know. Uh, maybe when you were working late, I don't know if you experienced this. I worked a lot of night shifts in my lifetime and I would always kind of get the munchies, you know, and it was like, weird because, you know, normally I would be sleeping, you know, during the night. And of course I wouldn't be eating, but if you're up all night, 
this hormone called ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone, it gets excited and it goes up and it makes you want to eat, you know, candy bars in the middle of the night, you know, and it's not something you would normally do. And it's just because we're not getting adequate sleep. And also there's another hormone called leptin, which is the one that tells us, hey, you should stop eating. You're full. You don't need to eat anymore. That hormone doesn't work when we're not sleeping well. So it's, it's kind of like a double-edged sword, you know, we're, we're getting these hormonal effects because we're not sleeping and it makes it even harder for us to avoid, you know, snacking and things like that. And, and also it, it messes up our metabolism. So if you're not sleeping well at night, you actually will be more likely to gain weight, even if you eat the same exact amount of calories as somebody who is sleeping eight hours a night. So I always tell this to people who are struggling to lose a little weight or they want to lose those last five or 10 pounds that they just can't seem to shed. I ask them, Hey, how's your sleep? Are you able to sleep, you know, a solid seven, eight hours every night? They tell me no. Then we investigate further. Like what's going on with that? What things could we help them to change so they can get a full night's sleep? Because when they do, it's shocking. Literally their weight will just start to melt away. Those last few pounds they were trying to lose maybe for years Mm -hmm. because their hormones will now be properly balanced or at least better than they were before. They can literally lose weight in their sleep. So it's, it's pretty remarkable. And the science is solid and we're starting to understand it more. We can't go by the dictum that I mentioned at the outset. We'll sleep when we're dead. Now we understand there's so many benefits to good, solid sleep. And one of them is, is weight, weight maintenance and weight loss. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that late night sleep when I'm editing podcasts or editing interviews or editing video and stuff like that. And I remember around 10 o'clock, I want to eat my son's like, it could be like these fruity gummies. I have an urge for fruity gummies. I have to go on the cabinet and grab fruity gummies and I take two packages. And, um, and it's just interesting because I always seem to get hungry. When I get hungry, I know I want those gummies, but I got to go to bed. So I can eat the sugar and sugar. I think sometimes sugar, I'm not sure how sugar plays in it. I know people say sugar, people, that makes your energy go, woo, woo, like, you know, the sugar power drink stuff. But your sugar levels in the body, does that also play a part in how you sleep in the evening? It does, because what what many of us don't realize is that, you know, like you mentioned, maybe for a brief window after you eat something sugary, you'll feel kind of energized, maybe for an hour or so. But after that, the crash is, is usually worse. And what happens with the crash is that the blood sugar actually goes down and it might take a dip to what we call hypoglycemia. People that often complain of having hypoglycemia, some of the issues are if they eat too many sugary things, when they have that dip, that could actually wake them up in the middle of the night because their body will think that they're hungry. So if you eat like sugary stuff right before you go to bed, you may be able to fall asleep okay, but you might actually wake up in the middle middle of the night because your body thinks that you're hungry because of this dip that happens in the blood sugar a couple hours later after a sugary substance. So I definitely don't recommend a bunch of sugar prior to bed, (laughs) you know, especially as parents, right? When we have our kids say at a birthday party and they're all eating birthday cake and and Kool-Aid or, or, or soda or something. I mean, they're all wired and, and crazy and everything. I mean, we know what it does to kids. Well, it does that to us too. And we even can suffer this dip a couple hours later that could potentially wake us up from sleep. So definitely, yeah, not a great idea to eat sugary stuff right before bed. <laughs> yeah, thanks for asking about that. Well, it's interesting too. I know that, I mean, wow, I didn't realize, I knew weight loss was important. I mean, weight loss is important, but sleep, I think it's just as important as watching what you eat and taking care of yourself. I mean, sleep is right up there with 
proper eating, I guess. Absolutely. No, in, in my humble opinion, you know, 20 years as a physician, sleep is actually one of the pillars of solid, unshakable health. And in my book, it occupies equal ground with what you eat, with movement and exercise, with stress, optimization. And uh, the fifth one is just getting our, what's called the gut healthy, the so-called gut health or the microbiome that now is coming into the lay press more frequently because it is something that's so powerful. And interestingly enough, even sleep affects our gut health or the bacteria that live inside of our intestines, big and small. These bacteria influence what we do every day without us even knowing it many times. In fact, certain bacteria can tell us what to eat. They literally can send messages to our brain to crave (laughs) sweet things. And so the more sweet things we eat, these bacteria will grow and populate. They will send more messages to our brain to eat more sweet things. And so it's kind of like we're sabotaging ourselves by eating too many sugary or sweet or processed foods because then that bacteria will grow and it'll actually, for its survival, send messages to our brain through this thing called the gut-brain axis. It'll tell us to crave sugary, sweet foods and things like that. So yeah, sleep affects all of our body. It is one of the pillars of good health. And it's yeah, something that I didn't appreciate for the first several decades of my life, both with my training as a physician, having young kids. I mean, I just thought I could power through, like you were saying, and that only goes so long. Well, it's interesting, too. Another thing, too, I, I was thinking about generational health. And I mean, something we wanted to talk about, touch base about tonight. What is generational health? Yeah, so, you know, some people will talk about generational wealth. Well, I like to talk about generational health. And what I mean by that is, you know, take my case, for example, I'm a physician, I'm a health enthusiast. I love all things health. And if I don't share that with my children, hopefully uh, their children and so on, it doesn't go down the line. It could stop with me, you know, and, and unfortunately what often gets shared is not necessarily the thing that we want to share as far as, you know, if we're not doing our best, you know, pick our foods wisely and we eat a, a unhealthy diet, our kids will follow, you know, and they will see that. And so if we can, as parents, make the choice to make health a priority in our life, it'll not only help us to be better parents because we'll feel better, we'll have more energy, we'll be more sharp and mentally acute and focused, and we'll be able to really connect with them better because we won't be groggy all the time or having brain fog or having these other, maybe it's just a fact that we don't have a lot of energy. And a lot of that could be due to what we're eating. If we're eating certain foods, especially processed, and we don't have the energy that we'd like, then we can't really be present for our kids in the way that we'd like to show up. And so if we make health a priority in our life, our kids will learn that. And I'll tell you that in the last decade, my kids, they've seen what I've gone through and I, I didn't always have perfect diet. You know, I'll, I'll admit I, I eat Oreo cookies occasionally now, almost never, you know, I, I, I used to, and I used to eat ice cream almost every night and I rarely do now, but they, they notice the difference. And if they can follow the healthy practices that we are employing in our life, they will be able to be healthy themselves and share that with their kids. So the impact, sometimes we like to be, I think, selfishly short-sighted and we think, oh, Whatever I do only affects me. It doesn't affect anybody else. I'm my own person. I can do my own thing. But as you know, Joe, and I think all the parents out there, everything that we do, our kids are watching. They are scrutinizing. (laughs) 
they watch everything. And so why wouldn't we want to share with them healthy practices that we are also employing so that we feel better, have better health, have more energy. We can be present and there for our kids and hopefully for a good long time. And then in the process, they will learn these same things about you know, how to eat right. What does it mean to eat real food? You know, the stuff that doesn't come in a package, that doesn't come in what I call with the three Bs in a box or in a bag or with a barcode. They learn that, hey, it's great and it can be tasty to just eat natural, real food. You know, not all this highly processed stuff that we often reach for just because it's easy, it's simple. It, we think it just, it's faster and it takes less time. But if they see us having these healthy practices, they're going to be way more likely to also employ them in their own life. And then they can teach them to their children. And so it can go on for generations. And that's what I would love to see. Cause unfortunately right now we're at a point, especially in us history where we've never been this unhealthy, like literally right now, present day, one in three deaths right now in this country is from heart disease. One person every 30 seconds dies of heart disease. And that is almost entirely preventable. And so we're, we're not, you know, and I, I can speak for the physicians. I think we're not doing a great job as, as physicians in general to help people to prevent illness. We're great once they have the heart attack, we know what to do after, but you know, we could prevent this in the first place so that people could be around for their kids so they could be there. And if they can learn these healthy practices and then share them with their children, we could have a world to change. And so that's, that's what I'm passionate about. I think we literally can affect generations for the positive or to the negative. And I really feel like it's, it's not that hard to affect our kids positively. And it can just start with the next trip to the supermarket where we shop on the outside or the periphery, you know, where the fruits and vegetables and fresh you know, meats and things and, and whatever you're able to eat. If you shop for the fresh foods and our kids see that and they see that we're not diving into the middle section with all the cookies, crackers, or cereals and all these processed things, they're going to take note. And sometimes it takes an adjustment. I'll be honest. I, I have six kids. We've been through a lot of different, you know, eating <laughs> practices over the years. And so it does take time for them to adjust, but they do, you know, they'll, they'll literally stop, you know, asking for sweets, you know, maybe not the first week, but if you stop buying them pretty soon, you know, once what you have at home runs out, they'll get, oh, you know, we don't really buy those anymore. Maybe it's a special treat, or maybe it's just on a birthday or, or what have you. And they, and they learn. <laughs> And they start to appreciate, you know, some healthy options. So what we do, we shouldn't underestimate our impact, not only with what we do uh, with respect to our other practices, but just with our health, the kids take notice. <laughs> well, it's interesting too. It's funny because um, like, um, my son will sit across from me and we'll have dinner and I have a sandwich, but I, I need something crunchy. And chips are not the goodest thing in the world. But I'm in about, I pull over my plate and he's watching me and all of a sudden I'm done my plate and I put my hand and I realize he's watching me what I did. Well, it's funny thing I was thinking about that is where did I learn my ways of doing things? Is like family history play into that part too, how we deal with things? Because another thing I want to tell you is my mom, when I was younger, she had four kids. We get three little Debbie um, oatmeal snacks thrown at us and a glass of Jolly Treat, and that was your breakfast and kicked out the door. And uh, But then nowadays it's, you know, fruit, orange juice, maybe a couple little muffins, but that, but not like that. I mean, wonder if family history plays in the way we deal with, with how we eat and how we take care of ourselves and how we pass on to our kids. Yeah. And I love what you just said. It's actually more of what you said, the family history with respect to the practices, the things that you do 
are a lot more important at the end of the day than the family history that comes from your genetic code or your DNA, for example. And we didn't used to know this, but what we know now in the last decade, we've been able to map out the entire human genome. We're even mapping out what's called the microbiome, which is way more genes than exist in our human <laughs> genome. Um, and it's so interesting because what we've come up with is roughly 90% of all of our sort of health traits, you know, whether we are healthy or not healthy, whether we have disease or not, 90% of it is actually not, not under the control of our DNA. Only about 10% of it is from the genes that we inherit from parents. The other 90% is more from the practices that not only our parents taught us, but what we observed in our you know, circles of friends or, or associates, acquaintances, you know, you hear that dictum that, you know, you're most like five or seven people that you spend the most time with. And that's actually been shown with respect to health as well. And so if all your friends are unhealthy, it's likely that you won't be that healthy either. And so I like to look at it from the flip side is that if you are healthy and you can help others learn those healthy traits, you can have a huge impact you know, not only on them, but on their family, because 90% of what your health turns out to be, whether or not you get disease or not, 90% is actually what you have control over, the so-called factors with respect to you know, what you choose each and every day, right? What we put at the tip of our fork, whether or not we move our body and take a walk, whether or not we get good sleep, whether or not we manage our stress, whether or not, you know, we hydrate. Like these simple things are literally 90% of what will turn out to be our health outcome. And, and I think it's both powerful and at the same time, a little daunting because it's more under our control than not, right? Only 10% of it comes in our DNA. The other 90% is on what we get to choose. So I just think it's amazing. It's empowering. It's awesome. And it makes us pause a little bit because we can change the future. And it literally is within our power. And that's, that's where I get excited. And that's where I share the five practices in my book because it's, it can be that simple. And yet, most amazing thing is it is powerful, much more powerful than what's in our DNA. Well, it's like funny. We have the power of choice and choices and besides eating being healthy, but the power of choice. And that seems like the most powerful thing in, in our lives is the power of choice. The one thing I wanted to ask you too is, all right, for example, me and my friend, Johnny, I eat the same piece of cake. Johnny eats the same piece of cake. Is it possible that if I eat the piece of cake, I gain weight and Johnny doesn't? Is that like in, in the genetics from passed on from parents? Some of that, yeah, some of that could be, but like I said, it, it would only be the smallest portion. Maybe only 10% of it is in the genetics, but there's a lot of other factors that go into play. Say you both have the exact same piece of cake, but Johnny's gut health or his uh, bacteria in his intestines microbiome is different than yours. Mm -hmm. You have one that tells you to gain weight and he has one that says you're not going to gain weight. But, but the good thing about that is you can control that too. Those bacteria that live in us, you know, this so-called microbiome or the microbiota, we actually have control over that by what we eat. The other factor that could come into play is Johnny's metabolism could be a little bit different than yours. We all have a little bit of a differed metabolism depending on how we've treated it, but that can change too. So I, I, I've, I'll be honest, I've complained, you know, when I turned 40, almost 10 years ago, I complained that my metabolism was slowing down because I was starting to have less energy. Maybe I felt like that piece of cake would affect me differently and things like that. But what I didn't realize is that that's not the case. What happened is I slowed down. 
right? I used to be, you know, more active than I was and, and, and I was slowing down. In fact, that's been, I think, one of the biggest revelations in modern science is that we've learned, and in, in, I think the study came out about a year and a half ago, that our metabolism really doesn't slow down based upon our age until we're at least 60. Mm-hmm. And so I got another decade to go before I can blame my metabolism. Right now, I can blame this guy right here. This, this guy, the choices that he's made. If I, if I chose to not get up and move my body today, didn't go for a walk, didn't go to the gym, didn't do something to move my body, that's my own fault. You know, I can't blame my genes. I can't blame my metabolism because the data shows our metabolism really doesn't slow down until we're over 60. And so once again, it's both empowering and daunting, but I just love to see it with that positive spin that there's so much that we can do. We can actually change our metabolism based on what we choose to eat, how we choose to move our body, you know, the timing of how, I mean, besides just what ends up at the tip of our fork, the timing of our meals makes a big difference too. So I know it's a lot for, for one podcast, but don't dismay. I have lots, you know, uh, ways to share things with you guys in the future, um, courses and websites that, that you can visit and things like that. But it is, it is powerful. We literally can change our own metabolism. But to answer your question, yes, it could be that you and Johnny share a couple of differences, even though you ate that same slice of, of cake, it could affect you differently. <laughs> well, you said you have ways of sharing stuff and like that too. And there's two things that were well, like, first thing is your podcast. What is the name of your podcast? Yeah. So my podcast is called the modern medicine movement. And it's a movement because we talk about how to get healthy naturally and not necessarily with medicine or medication. I'm a physician and I can certainly prescribe medication, but the movement is to try to do things naturally. So that's modern medicine. I mean, it's available on the, all the, all the usual channels, Apple, Spotify, you name it, it's up there. And I would love for listeners to, to be able to share that. I've, I've been two years in now. I just celebrated my two year anniversary podcasting and it's been a lot of fun and I just love to deliver value there. So they can find me at Modern Medicine Movement on Apple and all the podcast channels, as well as my Instagram at Modern Medicine Movement and at Dr. or Dr. Thomas Hemingway. And I share all my uh, podcasts and resources there on my link tree. So that's a great place people can reach out either at Dr. Thomas Hemingway, which is just Dr. and then Thomas and then Hemingway or at Modern Medicine Movement. They can find all my resources there. And I'd love to, I'd love to see some of you guys over uh, listening to the show. I, I love to connect with you. You can email me as well, Modern Medicine Movement Podcast at Gmail. My book coming out, as you mentioned, it's called Preventable. I just got a, a website up and running called The Preventable Book. And people can uh, jump on there and sign up for notifications of when the book's coming out and just information and fun stuff, giveaways, stuff like that at thepreventablebook.com. Well, we mentioned all this stuff and all links will be in the show notes for this episode and stuff like that. But I was just kind of go back one second for the podcast. What kind of topics do you cover on the show? Yeah, so almost anything that has to do with getting healthy, getting you know healthier, whether it be I've done podcasts on sleep, I've done podcasts on stress, I've done podcasts on the microbiome or this thing called gut health. I just did one this week on bread and <laughs> gluten. You know, a lot of people have questions about what's this gluten thing? What does it mean? How come some people can't have bread? Some people can like, what about the breads today? Are they the same as the breads of a thousand years ago? Like what's the deal with bread? I, I do it on almost any kind of health topic that's I think potentially powerful, inspiring, and that's helpful in your day-to-day life. I did one recently on how to eat healthy 
on a budget. You know, with six kids, it's hard sometimes you to eat healthy on a budget. <laughs> now, if you're buying the organic stuff, your bill is just going right to the roof. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's some things you can buy that that uh, you can get by not buying organic that won't really harm you so much. And there's some things that you do want to definitely buy organic. So I talk about all different health tips and stuff that's, I think, super applicable to families. You know, we all want to be healthy for ourselves and for our kids, and we want them to be healthy. And so these are all topics that I think most people find not only interesting, but really powerful and applicable, easy easy to apply to your everyday life. And, and they're all the steps that I mentioned are basically all free. You don't have to, like I said, buy a sleep tracker. You don't have to you know, get a fancy device to help with your sleep. You know, you can do a couple of simple things. You can you can make your room dark at night. You can keep the temperature cool. You can turn off your devices a couple hours before bed or even one hour. You know, start with turning off your devices one hour before bed because that blue light stimulates your brain and your mind to think, hey, it's still daylight. Like <laughs> you can't be on your phone and then expect in two minutes when you put your phone down to go asleep immediately. Like your brain is like not fooled that easily. So there's a lot of easy pointers. You know, I did a couple of sleep podcasts as well. And I have a course on sleep that you guys can find on my link tree and stuff like that. But they're just really common health topics that most people uh, have questions about. And in fact, your viewers can send me an email or reach out on any of these uh, social media and they can send me questions. And it's likely that I might just podcast about that in the future. I get a lot of my content from just questions people have as well. Well, it's interesting too. It's interesting about we talk about that for a second. What came to mind is I had this new app on my phone, second like Apple Watch, um, you know, and it tracks my heart rate at night and it tells me when I'm stressed, when my energy level, and it's in, um, tells me you need to take some time out to relax. And it's interesting the technology nowadays coming out for watching health, like between watches, you got the bands, and it's just amazing the different technology. Oh, it's it's literally asymptotically increased. I mean, the Apple Watch is the tip of the iceberg. You know, you got the Aura Ring, you got all these other sleep trackers, and even your phone, you can have that listening for if you're snoring or not. And if you are, you know, you might have sleep apnea, you know, things like that, that, that we, you know, the technology is amazing and there's so many benefits we can glean from it. And so I definitely support people wanting to get techie with their health, but uh, you don't have to. You don't have to buy a bunch of fancy gear. Most of the things that'll get your health really turned around are actually super simple and they're free and they're what I love to talk about. Well, I guess um, final thoughts, wrapping up. Yeah, I would just say that never underestimate the power of your example. Like we mentioned, your kids are watching, you know, people are watching. And if you do your darndest to get yourself healthy, you will not only be a better parent, a better spouse, a better person, a better friend, but also you will be pivotal in your child's future because they look up to you. Whether we like it or not, our kids are always watching. They see everything we do and we can inspire them to make good choices by what we do each and every day. And it can be so simple. It's the simple things that can mean a lot. You know, if we're, you know, eating real food all the time and it's rare that we bust out things out of a package or that we eat desserts or that we, you know, sh shop in places that are, or, or, or go through drive throughs that have all kinds of crazy processed, not so awesome foods. Like if we're not doing those things, they take notice of that and we will change our health, but we can change our kids' health and their kids' health for generations. So the impact, I just like everybody to just take a moment to just 
envision the positive impact that you can have on your children, that they can achieve great health just by watching, watching and then mimicking your examples. And it's never too late. The, the, the sort of words of wisdom I have is that it's never too late to turn things around. If you feel like, oh, it's just, I'm never going to be healthy. I'm never going to have that energy. I'm never going to lose the weight. Bull crap. You can change that. You can change that. Reach out to me, you know, watch my podcast, listen to it, follow me, you know, be join one of my groups. I mean, I I would love to share with you how simply you can change your health and change your life. It is possible, it is doable. And I just I want that for you and for everybody out there, just to achieve that optimal health so you can be the person that you're meant to be for yourself and for your kids. Also, I know you mentioned before, but I want to um, maybe remind them where they can connect with you. We're going to reach out and ask more questions and find more about your book and stuff. Yeah, the easiest place is on my Instagram, which is doctor, which is just spelled D-R, and then my name, Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S, and then Hemingway, spelled just like Ernest did with one M. So Dr. Thomas Hemingway, or my um, Instagram for the uh, podcast is just Modern Medicine Movement. And they can, both of those have a link tree there where they can find my free Facebook groups and my newsletters, which I do every Thursday. I just had one come out uh, today, which I do weekly kind of health tips and things like that. So a free newsletter, you're welcome to sign up for. And then the book is at uh, thepreventablebook.com and they can sign up for, for getting the latest information on when that's coming out and health tips and be a part of a special book newsletter. And, and they'll know when it's out there and they'll be able to get all the best discounts and deals at the preventablebook.com. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Tom. Thank you much for being on the podcast this evening. I really do appreciate your time and all the links will be in the show notes for this episode. I want to thank you for your time. Thank you. Awesome. Big aloha to everybody. Thanks so much for having me. Just appreciate it. Wrapping up this episode, I really want to thank Dr. Tom Hemingway for being a guest on the podcast. You can find more about Dr. Hemingway over at thomashemingway.com. You find all links in the show notes for this episode at no sitting on the sideline.com slash one three three. Hey, please reach out, leave a comment, or if you have a question or anything you want to share, I'd love to hear from you. Cause you know what? If you listen and, and make feedback, I love to have a conversation. I enjoy talking to people. So just want to say hello, just say hello. You can find more of my contact information at no sitting on the sideline.com slash contact. Hey, final thoughts. I was thinking how all things Dr. Thomas Hemingway mentioned about sleep and how important it really is. They said it's, it's just as important as eating. So get enough sleep. Sleep's important. You know, I have sleep apnea, so it makes sometimes I don't get a good night's sleep, and I definitely can tell. So get some sleep. Until next time, take care. Give your kids a hug. Tell somebody who loved, loved them because you never know. Take care. God bless. See you soon. <laughs>